All right. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see a full house today. This is awesome. So a couple weeks ago, when Martin Luther King Day was approaching, I really felt the need for us as a church to talk about the topic of racism. Uh, of course, church was canceled the weekend of Martin Luther King Day, so uh, that sermon was postponed uh, to today. Uh, but that's okay, because this is really a relevant topic no matter what time of year it is. This isn't something that we should need the excuse of a national holiday to, to address. It's also a very difficult topic. Uh, it's a topic that can stir emotions. Uh, it can stir anger. It can stir defensiveness. Uh, it can stir up feelings of grief. And I found that as I was preparing this message that I felt like there was so much to say that I didn't even know where to start. So here's where I do want to start. I want to start by admitting that whatever I say this morning is going to be inadequate. Okay? Um, I am not going to be able to fully summarize the, the situation that we're in. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to be able to fully summarize the issues we face, how to address them. I can't do it. But I do have one humble hope and prayer this morning, which is that this message will help to increase our awareness so that we can love our neighbors better. That's it. Increase our awareness so we can love our neighbors better. Uh, increasing awareness is not uh, the only step we need to take in order to fixing the problems in the world, right? We also need to act. But increasing awareness is a critical first step. Changing things begins in the world of ideas. It begins with how we think. And so my goal is to increase awareness today. And I also want to acknowledge that most of what I'm going to say this morning is going to be directed towards a, a white audience. And I want to get that out in the open right in the, in, from the outset. And um, there's a couple reasons for that. Uh, one is because it is true that at this point in our church, this is not by design, but the largest ethnicity represented here is white, right? So there's that. But the other reason is because I think that when it comes to this issue, it's usually white people who really need a boost in awareness, right? We, those of us who are white, we often don't have to think about the issues of racism because we don't experience them on a regular basis. And so it's just something that we have the privilege of not thinking about. Um, and, and for that reason, we often become ignorant to the realities uh, of what's going on. So uh, I certainly hope and pray that if you're here this morning, you're a person of color, and you feel like, why is the sermon completely directed towards white people? I, I don't want you to, to feel like you don't belong here. I don't want you to feel like uh, this is a, a, a all-white church, and that's the way we want it to be. Please don't feel that way. Uh, just know I'm directing this message towards white people because I think we're the ones that most need the awareness boost. Okay. Now, if you have a Bible, open up to 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 9. Let me say a quick prayer for us. Lord Jesus... Uh, we come before you this morning, uh, and, and we want to be united as a church. Uh, we want to love each other well. Uh, we want to uh, have 
helpful responses to the social issues of our day, Lord. Um, We want to be uh, united across racial lines, and I pray that this morning, as we wrestle with this issue together, um, we would we would grow in our unity and our in our love for one another. Open our hearts to be able to receive whatever it is that you want to teach us in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, First Thessalonians four, starting in verse nine, Paul writes, "Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other, and in fact." You do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Now, I thought this would be a fitting way to start off this sermon because I feel like saying to all you guys what Paul says here, which is basically about brotherly love. I don't think I really need to say a lot. Like, you guys already know, God has already taught you that you're supposed to love one another. I don't think you need to be convinced of that. Uh, Like Paul, I don't feel like I need to spend a lot of time looking for biblical arguments to say why you shouldn't be racist. (laughs) Does anyone feel like they need to be convinced of that, that we need to spend a lot of time worrying about that? I don't think so, because if there's anything that the Bible teaches clearly, it's that we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves, right? And you're not really loving your neighbor very well if you're treating them in a racist manner, right? But just in case you have any doubt at all, that racism is an issue for God, something that he cares about, I'm going to bring up one verse out of many that could be used. So this is uh, James 2, verses 8 through 9. Uh, James writes, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Now, if anyone ever says to you, you know what, the Bible doesn't really talk about racism. In fact, the word racism is not even in most translations of the Bible. You should turn to this verse, because it is true, the word racism doesn't appear in most major translations of the Bible. But notice this word here, favoritism. And embedded in the favoritism concept is the concept of racism. Because this word favoritism, it's translated from a Greek word, prosopotolemto, and and what that word means, if you literally translate it, is to receive someone according to their face, to receive someone according to their face, In in other words, to accept or reject someone based on their external appearance, which is the essence of racism, right? And notice that favoritism is contrasted with loving your neighbor as yourself, okay? So racism, in its essence, is a violation of the royal law, right? Of the, of the law of love that we are all called to keep. Now, if we go back to the First Thessalonians passage, I want us to take the exhortation at the end to heart. It says... Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Okay, he's saying, you guys know about love. God's taught you what love is. You understand this, right? I don't need to tell you, but here's what I will say. Love more and more. Okay? And I think that those of us who are white, when we read this exhortation, here's 
one way we need to think about it. We need to take the exhortation to heart and ask ourselves the question, how can I love my brothers and sisters of color more and more? Now you might say, well, this isn't talking specifically about people of color, it's everybody, right? We're supposed to love everybody. Of course you're supposed to love everybody. <laughs> yes, but we as white Christians owe it to ourselves to ask specifically, how do I love more and more people of color? How do I show love to people who have been victims of white favoritism? Okay, who have been victims of the tendency throughout the history of this country for white people to receive people according to their white faces and to reject people because of their colored faces. That's a very important question, and that's a question that love requires us to ask. And this morning, I want to humbly suggest four practical ways for those of us who are white to love more and more people of color. And I don't pretend to be an expert on this. In fact, most of what I'm going to say, I feel like, I feel like Paul. I don't need to tell you guys this. You should know this. But here's the thing. Throughout the history of our country, white Christians have done a terrible job <laughs> of doing these things. Okay, So it seems like it shouldn't need to be said, but it does. It does need to be said. So practical way number one, listen. Listen. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, human nature typically does the opposite of those things, right? We are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to get defensive, right? And these human tendencies, natural human tendencies, are very dangerous when it comes to discussing issues of race. Uh, when we're slow to listen and we're quick to speak, those of us who are white, we end up saying things like, well, racism isn't much of a problem anymore. It's a thing of America's past. And then if someone tries to tell us otherwise, rather than being quick to listen, we get defensive. Well, I'm not racist. I don't know people who are racist. But when we take the time to really listen, right, we show love to the person who is speaking to us, and our perspective gets transformed in the process. So I will speak candidly about my personal experience. For a long time, I thought racism was largely something in America's past. Maybe I wouldn't have uh, voiced that out loud, but internally, that's the way I felt. Uh, I thought, well, the Civil War, the Civil Rights Movement, they dealt with that stuff a, a long time ago. Uh, I assumed that people of all races in our country had relatively uh, equal opportunities for uh, employment, uh, for acquiring wealth. Uh, I assumed that, you know, in general, people of all races are treated equally by law enforcement. And I assumed those things, not because I had done any research, not because I had really thought about it. I didn't even have people that I was close to who were people of color to tell me anything otherwise, right? I hadn't listened. I hadn't listened at all. But when I really started to listen, 
my perspective started to change. When I was in seminary, I took a class called Race and Reconciliation. And we would all sit in a big circle. It was not a traditional class. There was hardly a lecture at all, actually. We'd sit in a big circle, and we would just talk about racial issues. And that class really shook me. We would have it at night, and I remember there's some nights I couldn't even sleep. Because in it, I witnessed the raw emotion, okay, the pain, the grief, the anger that my black and Asian classmates felt because of their personal experiences of discrimination. And when you witness that pain firsthand, okay, when you see it in the faces of brothers and sisters in Christ at a seminary, you know you can't deny the reality of it. You can't just dismiss it. You can't just think, ah, oh, it's all just politics. You know it's real. And when those of us who are white take time to really listen to that pain, to hear it without getting defensive, we show the kind of love that our brothers and sisters of color deserve. So I encourage you, if you're not listening at all to anyone of color, start listening. Okay? And, you know... Maybe you're not listening because you don't have anyone that you're close to who's a person of color, but the good news is we live in a time where you can download podcasts that expand your perspective. There's plenty of great books out there that can help to expand your perspective, and so I encourage us to listen. A second way that we can love is we can learn. We can learn. Proverbs 18.2 says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. And when it, when it comes to talking about issues of race in America, those of us who are, who are white have to be very careful not to delight in airing our own opinions without really understanding. Uh, if we're going to show love to our brothers and sisters of color, we have to take the time to do some research before we start just running our mouths. <laughs> about these issues. And uh, to help get us started, I'd like to offer a couple statistics. Okay, this in no way represents the whole picture of what's going on, but these are a couple statistics that should be very thought-provoking uh, for us. There are actually three examples of racial disparity between blacks and whites in our country. So first, let's talk about wealth, okay? According to uh, research by the Pew Research Center, uh, in 2014, the median household income for whites was 71,300. Uh, but the median household income for blacks was 43,300. Now that's a pretty big difference, right? About $30,000 difference in income a year. But this gap gets even bigger when we consider median wealth. Okay, income, of course, is the amount of money that you're taking in in your yearly salary, but wealth is a better indication of your financial situation. Okay, wealth is what, what you, you have if you add up everything you have, your house, your car, uh, your income, the money in the bank, and then you subtract your debt. Well, in 2013, the median household wealth for whites was 144200 
and the median household wealth for blacks was 11,200. That's a, that's a really big gap. That's huge. We're going to talk that, about that a little bit more in a while. But, so that's one thing, wealth disparity. Okay, next, let's talk about incarceration. Uh, according to Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, in some states, black men have been admitted to prison on drug charges at rates 20 to 50 times greater than those of white men. 20 to 50 times greater. And yet, studies show that people of all colors use and sell illegal drugs at remarkably similar rates. So, research indicates that white kids, black kids, relatively equal likelihood they're going to be selling and, and uh, using drugs. But you are far more likely to end up to going to jail for doing that if you are black than if you're, than if you're white. And, and, and at astronomical rates, higher. <laughs> um, 20 to 50 times greater in some cities. And then three, let's talk about employment opportunities. Uh, a Harvard sociology professor named Deva Pager has done a lot of research on the effects of race on hiring policies. And according to her research, uh, she has concluded that white applicants with felony convictions are just as likely to be called back for a job interview as black men who have no criminal history at all. So she summarizes the results of her research with this. Being black in America today is just about the same as having a felony conviction in terms of one's chances of finding a job. That's heartbreaking. That's terrible, okay? So in America today, okay, there is evidence to suggest that if you are black, and, and particularly if you are a black male, you are less likely to have access to wealth you are more likely to be sent to jail, and you are less likely to be able to find employment. And so if those of us who are white in the church are going to talk about racial issues, we cannot run our mouths without knowing this sort of stuff. Okay? We have to take the time to learn. A third way that we can love is to remember remember. Specifically, we need to remember the racial injustice in our country's past. I remember hearing a white friend of mine say, you know, people just need to stop talking about slavery and move on. It's in the past. And I think that the attitude he expressed there is a common one. You know, those of us who are white often have a desire to just look forward and not to look back. But the reality is that in order to understand the present, we have to look back, right? In order to understand the wealth disparity that I just described, we have to, be, we have to remember, we have to look back. Um, in order to show love to groups of people who have been traumatized, we have to remember and grieve that story of trauma. And, you know, I think that we as Christians should be able to understand this better than anybody else, because a huge part of our faith is remembering, right? 
That's part of the discipline of faith is remembering. I mean, we're still remembering that the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt, and that was 3,500 years ago. You know, we don't say, oh, just get over that. <laughs> remembering is important, and throughout the Old Testament, God encourages the Israelites to remember their history, right? He encourages to them to remember events that happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Because the Israelites were never supposed to think of themselves as individuals who were disconnected from history, right? They were, supposed to, they were never supposed to think, oh, that happened a long time before I was born, so that's none of my business. That doesn't have anything to do with me. God wanted the Israelites to see themselves as part of a much larger story that was unfolding right, throughout history. And we today in the church are called to think of that history as our own too and to remember those events and to feel emotionally connected and invested in those events. So if we're supposed to think of ourselves as part of a story that goes back thousands and thousands of years, why shouldn't we also you know, remember and think about the larger story that we're a part of in America, in this country? and what that means for us today. And so, what is that story? Well, I think we all know it, but we need to remember it and be reminded of it. We have to remember that this country was built on the hard labor of black men and women who were brought here unwillingly and who were treated as less than human. We have to remember that a war was fought in this country on the soil to keep them enslaved. We have to remember that after slavery ended, much of America created laws to mandate segregation, right? Laws that continue to dehumanize and impoverish black people. And we have to remember, like, those laws are not ancient history. You know, people's grandmas were subject to those laws. There are plenty of people today who are alive that remember those laws. When the Beatles made their debut on Ed Sullivan, these laws were still in place in a lot of places. And families are still experiencing the negative consequences of those laws. You know, when your grandparents or your parents couldn't acquire wealth because segregation laws deprive them of opportunities, that affects you generations later. It shouldn't surprise us that white families have a much higher average uh, median household wealth because white families have been able to pass down wealth and opportunities to their offspring, but many black families have not had that luxury because of the effects of segregation. We have to remember that between 1882 and 1968, at least 3,446 black people were lynched. These people were hung without a trial by angry whites who were just seeking to intimidate and control. We have to remember that pictures of some of these lynchings were put on postcards for souvenirs. We have to remember that as black people moved into cities to look for new opportunities to work and settle down, that white families would move out as soon as a black family moved in. You know, and some of that was because whites were actively racist, and I don't want to be around black people. But you know what another reason was? 
It was just because white people thought, well, if the blacks move in, well, then my property value is going to go down because other white people aren't going to want to pay the same amount of money for my house. And so they left. And that's known as the phenomenon of white flight. And when the white people left, guess what they took with them? Wealth and opportunities. And that's another reason for the wealth disparity between whites and blacks in America today. If those of us who are, who are white are going to love people of color the way that God wants us to, we have to remember the past, this past. And we have to recognize the ways that the past affects the present. And finally, a fourth way that we can love is we can share power. We can share power. One term that gets used a lot these days in discussions about racial issues is this term white privilege. Have we heard this, white privilege? And sometimes we white people can be offended by this term because we think it implies that all white people have an easy, cushy life, right? That they don't have any problems to deal with. Uh, we can assume that it, it means that white people should feel shame, right, simply for having nice things, having advantages, right? But if we're, if we're using this term correctly, the point isn't to suggest those things. That's not the point of, of, of the term uh, white privilege. The, 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 the point is simply that there are certain benefits that typically come with being white. And the statistics that we just talked about help to show us that, right? You're more likely to have wealth in your family. Uh, you're less likely to go to jail, that sort of thing, okay? Now, the correct response to privilege is, is not to feel ashamed of it. The correct response is to use it well. And so how do we use it well? Well, I think that a scripture verse that can help us to answer that question is Philippians 2, 3 through 4. And this is what it says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. When I think of the history of racial injustice in America, you know, I'm sure a lot of it was, was motivated by open, overt hostility towards minorities. But I really think that a lot of the time, the source of racial injustice was just people looking after their own interests without concern for the interests of others. A lot of racism is, is nowhere near as overt as what we usually think of when we think of racism. It was this kind of non-overt racism that caused the mass white flight from cities that I just talked about. Because, yeah, I'm sure there were some white families who said, I hate black people, so I'm getting out. But there were some that were just thinking, I'm just looking after my own interests. My property value is going to go down. So I got to protect my interests. I'm getting out of here. But what we have to see is that when we care only about our own interests, when we don't also care about the interests of others, the results can be devastating. And what happens is that those of us who have power 
end up hoarding it. Instead of just caring about our own interests, God calls us to care about the interests of others too. And that means that for those of us who are white and who possess privilege, we can't just go about our lives serving our own self-interests, unconcerned about the interests of other groups of people. We have to care about sharing power and privilege. And what does that mean, practically speaking? Well, it means that we should want to see people of all types in positions of power. We should delight in that. It shouldn't just be something that we feel obligated to try and achieve. It should be something that makes us happy, right? We should be happy to work under a person of uh, color, to have a boss who's a person of color. We should be, this might seem like a small thing, but we should be happy to see movies where people of color are leaders and heroes, you know? And, and we shouldn't automatically think if we see that that we're somehow being disenfranchised as white people, you know? We should delight in that. And don't get me wrong, okay, I am not advocating for some sort of reversal of the power dynamic that's existed in this country where we just do the opposite thing and, you know, oppress whites. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to argue for that at all. But what I'm calling for is for us to work toward a culture where we care about the interests of all. Not just our own, not just our race, but of all. And that means for the, that for those of us who have privilege, that means choosing to share power rather than to hoard it. So again, four suggestions for loving our brothers and sisters of color well. Listen, learn, remember, and share power. And I'm sure that there's more that we could do. And if you're listening uh, either today or online later, and you're a person of color, and you think, I think there was a blind spot here, let me know. Email me, ryan at stpaulswired.org. I would love to know. Um, and again, I know that most of what I've said this morning has been addressed specifically to white folks. So I'd like to finish with a word to anyone who is not white, anyone who's a person of color, and it's this. <clears throat> Please have grace for us. Uh, I know that white Christians have historically let you down. I know that many of us let you down today, but many of us really do want to see racial justice in the church and in this country. You know, we do want to move past our ignorance. We don't just want to hoard our power. We want to recognize our mistakes. We don't just want to be self-interested. And we do want to see the church reflect what Paul said in Galatians 3.28, that, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. We can forget how incredibly radical that would have been in the first century to say that all the major divisions of hierarchy and society, that in Jesus Christ, through the faith, that these things are no longer they don't matter anymore. That ultimately, we all, before the throne of God, are equal image bearers. But if we're going to experience that kind of unity, if we're going to move past our ignorance, if we're going to be assigned to the world of the unifying power of Jesus, we need your grace. And we need your patience. And we need your forgiveness. 
and we are going to do our best to listen, learn, remember, and share power. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that your Holy Spirit would fill our church and fill the church across this country and across the world, that you would bring unity and peace and understanding, that you would help us to listen to one another and love each other well, that you would help us to remember injustice, uh, to understand its significance, and to be committed not to repeating it. Father, I pray that where there is anger and, dissent, and uh, anger and defensiveness, that you would uh, bring a spirit of openness and sincerity and listening. Lord, I give you thanks for the ways that you're moving in us and among us. Lord, we want our church to reflect the beauty of your unified, multicolored kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.